Well, very pleasant. Good morning to each one of you. If you have your New Testament with you, you can open to the passage that our brother Kerry read from a few moments ago there in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3 at verses 17 and 18, and we will be in that text here in just a moment. It is certainly good for me to see all of you here this morning. It seems like it has been a long time since I have stood in this pulpit, and in fact, it was all the way back to the first Sunday of this month. Uh, The second Sunday, my family and I were gone to Florida, to Tampa, to the uh, lectures there at FC, and just enjoyed a a great week of study and singing and prayer and fellowship with uh, Christians from different places around the country. Their theme this year was on the book of Hebrews, and specifically on Jesus as our great high priest and pulling uh, passages out of the book of Hebrews that emphasize Jesus. And of course, that's not very hard to do. It's almost every verse in that particular wonderful book. Uh, But just some rich studies there in the book of Hebrews. And while I was there, uh, saw, I think it was five uh, former Fairview preachers. Uh, Jacob Hudgens was there doing some teen sessions that week, and Abigail and Elijah were in those sessions, and it doesn't surprise any of you or myself that they were just excellent sessions for that age group, and then saw Ryan Goodwin, uh, who's preaching in Memphis area, and uh, Zach Berkner, Zach Howard, and Nick Angel, who is going to be with us here on our uh, Vibe uh, Youth Weekend here in a couple of weeks, and uh, it was good to to spend some time with them uh, to meet both of the Zachs. I've heard so much about uh, the Zachs that have done internships here, uh, but to meet both of those brothers and appreciate the work that they are doing. Uh, Of course, last Sunday I was at home sick and uh, uh, watching everything on uh, the live stream and watched both of Gavin's sermons, and uh, he just did an excellent job with those. And I appreciate him uh, being willing to do double duty the last two Sundays Uh, I've been in his position many times over my years of preaching, uh, sometimes not even giving him as uh, or having as much uh, lead time as I gave him of uh, just knowing maybe on the day or the day before that I was supposed to speak. And uh, it's happened to me a couple of times uh, when when we have had to not hear, but the church we were at in Kentucky had uh, preachers in to do meetings. And one of them called me on a I think it was a Tuesday afternoon at like 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon and the service was at 7 o'clock and said, I've got the the flu (laughs) and I can't be there today. And so all of these people coming to hear uh, this uh, great preacher of the gospel and I kind of had to apologize (laughs) uh, for them hearing me. But I've been in that position uh, several times before and I I appreciate uh, uh, Gavin uh, being willing to do that. Um, it's good to be back with you today. And what a blessing it is. When, when you are away, and especially last Sunday when I was at home sick, uh, I, I am glad that we have the technology that we have today. Uh, but I know in the few times that I've been homesick and still been able to, to watch uh, what is going on here, at least in part, that is not the same as being here. And it's not the same as seeing all of you. And it's not the same as interacting with each one of you. And I believe this is exactly the way that God intended for it to be. I'm so happy to see Sister Joe here this morning. 
And I am glad that the Lord, our God, has answered prayers on her behalf. And for a number of us that have been dealing with sicknesses and ailments and surgeries and hospital stays and all of that the last few weeks, let's continue to pray for one another and to serve one another as we can. Our 2024 congregational theme is Side by Side, Growing Together. Last month, of course, our brother Gavin kicked us off in that theme by looking at the book of Philippians, and especially focusing on Philippians chapter 1, and emphasizing to us in that, that inaugural sermon in this series about God's plan for our unity as Christians and as a local congregation, a local family of His. And Gavin really doing a great job, I think, of just emphasizing how important it is for all of us to be a part of that great plan. All of us have different roles. All of us have different abilities and different gifts that God has given to us. But all of us need to find ourselves somewhere in the plan of God. We all need to be involved in this process of growing together and being united together in Jesus Christ. And so today we continue our theme by considering what the Apostle Peter wrote in this text in 2 Peter chapter 3 about growing together in grace and in knowledge. Let's read uh, this short, in these short instructions again at verse 17. He says at the very end of these two epistles to Christians who are suffering, Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are being tempted just as we are today. This is his conclusion to both of those letters. You therefore, beloved, knowing that, be, that beforehand, or this beforehand rather, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I would submit to you that as Peter gives these closing instructions, that he is not so much talking to them as individuals, although certainly there, there is an individual responsibility that each of us as children of God brothers and sisters in Christ and the family of God, that we each individually have the responsibility to be watching for our own souls, don't we? We have the individual responsibility to be on guard, to take notice, to be alert as Satan tries to work into our life and work into our thinking and tries to pull us individually away from God. We certainly have the responsibility individually to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I would submit to you here as he wraps up this second letter to these Christians at large that he maybe is speaking to them as a collective, as the family of God, as the body of Christ, and saying, you collectively, you, you all need to be watching. You all need to be steadfast and watching out for error that might creep in among you. In the same way, you all, all of you together, need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to think about in this lesson this morning as we continue thinking about side by side. What are some things that the Apostle Peter has to say? What are some things that the New Testament has to say about how we can grow together in grace and knowledge? First of all, let's think about growing together in grace. We just sang a, a great song that, that John led us in about God's wonderful, marvelous grace for us. If I were to ask this audience to define the word grace, I, I am just sure that there would be a number of us that would immediately say grace is unmerited favor. 
And as we think about grace and as we think about maybe defining grace in those particular terms of unmerited favor, there are a number of us that would think of grace only in the context of what that song really was talking about, of what we have thought about this morning as we have eaten the Lord's Supper together. We might only think about grace in the context of God's grace as being the basis of our salvation, that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves were it not for the grace and mercy and kindness and love and patience and righteousness of God that we cannot be saved. And we think about grace in the context of God's grace as the basis of our salvation. As God has given us His grace or shown us His grace in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that might be the extent of our thinking or definition of grace. And I don't want to diminish that at all. Because those things that I just said about grace certainly are true. That it is something that we cannot earn. It is a gift that has been given to us by God. It is God showering His favor and His blessing upon us. We have not earned that. And certainly the greatest demonstration, obviously, of God's grace, the greatest gift that He has given us is the gift of salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. But while all of those things are true, the New Testament, I would submit to you, also uses the word grace in connection with a gift not only the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, but also the various gifts of service and ministry that flow from that ultimate gift of salvation in His Son. And so this morning, as we think, first of all, about how we can grow together in grace, I want us to consider these two ideas together. That, that is to say that as we grow in our appreciation and in our understanding of the grace that God has shown us in connection with our salvation in Jesus Christ, that we're also growing in our use of the grace or the gifts, if you will, that He gives us to work in His kingdom because we have been saved by His grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. Are we to just sit down and wallow in that grace? <laughs> Are we to just sit down and be thankful that we have received the grace of God, that we have been saved from our sins, but let it not do anything for us in our life. Let it not change us and let it not mold us and make us into the people whom Christ has saved us to be. So I want you, as we're thinking this morning, as we're looking at these passages about how we can grow together this year in the grace of Jesus Christ, to think about those two ideas together. First of all, from the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, of course, as we think oftentimes about grace and God's grace and grace being the basis for our salvation from sin, we go to Ephesians chapter 2. But I want us for just a few minutes this morning to go to chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, just listen to the language. Listen to the way, uh, the, the kind of words that Paul uses here in talking about the gifts that God has given to him. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, 
to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places." While yes, all of what Paul said about grace in the previous chapter is certainly true, while God had saved Paul by His grace, Paul is saying, I believe, and emphasizing in this chapter, that God also gave him, as he says in his words, a ministry. He gave him a service. He gave him a gift. Indeed, it was a stewardship. It was something that God gave him to use or to manage to accomplish God's work in his kingdom. For the Apostle Paul, this gift of God's grace was the Holy Spirit's revelation of the mystery of Christ. That is, that the Holy Spirit revealed the gospel of Christ, the good news of salvation in Christ to Paul, so that Paul could turn around and preach that good news message to all people. And as he's emphasizing specifically in this text to those who were Gentiles. Uh, Paul says something very similar, if you want to turn back in your Bible just quickly, to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 and verse 15, he says, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Obviously, it goes without saying, but obviously Paul had received God's grace through his son Jesus Christ. Paul had been saved from his sins. Paul had been changed into a new person in Christ. But as he says here at verse 15, it's because of the grace that was given me from God... Certainly God gave him grace in relation to his salvation, but I believe he goes on to explain what kind of grace is he talking about that God has given him in verse 16. It was specifically this gift, this ministry, this stewardship of preaching the gospel of Christ, again, especially to those who were Gentiles. This is how Paul considered his work as a gospel preacher as a ministry, as a gift, as a stewardship, as God's grace that was given to him for a specific purpose. Now I want us to go back to chapter 2 and notice what the Apostle Paul wrote there about grace at verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Yes, God gave us His grace in Christ Jesus so that we would be saved. Without God's grace, there is no way that we could be saved from our sins. There's no way that we could be reconciled to Him. But also notice here in these few verses that God has given us His grace that pertains to our salvation for a reason so that we as His children might be His workmanship that we might be created anew in Christ Jesus, that we might be people who are devoting our life from now on to doing good works. It is God's grace, I would submit to you, that not only works in our salvation, but it's God's grace that continues to work in us 
as we do His will, as we use the gifts that He has given to us. Back to the book of Romans. Uh, the Apostle Paul in chapter 12 speaks to us about some of our uh, one another responsibilities in the body of Christ. But before he gets that to that as he's trying to lay the foundation here, notice back in verse 3. And notice the language again that Paul uses here. In speaking of our gifts or our functions in the body of Christ, he says at verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in the body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, certainly while all of us who are saints, those of us who are followers of Christ, we have received the full measure of God's grace as it pertains to our salvation in Christ, the Apostle Paul reminded the brethren in Rome and us that we have also received different gifts according to the grace that was given to us. And therefore, I think it is our responsibility individually, but also collectively to find out what those gifts are. And to not just say, hey, God has given me this particular gift. God has given me this stewardship or this ministry. He has shown His grace to me by allowing me to do this particular thing. But He wants us to make full use of those, but He also wants us to grow in these gifts and to use them in serving one another as members of the one body of Jesus Christ. We've all been given the same amount of grace as it pertains to our salvation but we've all been given different gifts according to the grace that God has given to us. And then a couple of final passages on this point about growing together in grace from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in a, uh, obviously a chapter about the resurrection and Paul's main point here about resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection and notice what he says about himself at verse 10. And again, the, the words that he chooses to use here. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Yes, it certainly is true that because God had shown and showered his grace on Paul in saving him from his sins in Jesus Christ, that he was what he was. But it is also true as Paul talks here in this verse, he says that his grace toward me, as he showed it, I think, in, his, in Jesus Christ, did not prove vain. He's out here laboring. He is working. He is being a workmanship in Jesus Christ, a person who has devoted his life to good works. But notice he's, that he says, even as he is working, it's not him alone doing this, but he says the grace of God is working with him. The grace of God is still present in his life. The grace of God is still active in his life as a Christian, as an apostle, as a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ, that God's grace is continuing to work and to motivate and to direct him and to teach him as we read about in passages like Titus chapter 2. 
Also, as you think about what Paul wrote there in 1 Corinthians 15, to couple that with what he said to this church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, he says, And working together with him, with God, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense for a cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry uh, will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. Paul says here about himself that we read about there in 1 Corinthians 15 and then about these brethren in the church in Corinth and about us today that we can receive God's grace in vain. We can receive God's grace in such a way that it does not allow us or motivate us to grow in our service and sacrifice for Him. Or we can receive God's grace in full. And we can allow God's grace to motivate us to make full use of the gifts and the opportunities that we have now for service and for sacrifice in His kingdom. We, we have been blessed. I don't have to tell you this. I think if, you, if you're observing at all, you know this about this congregation. But we are very blessed here with just a variety of gifts that God has given to us. And we are, I'm thankful, I'm sure you're thankful that, you know, not all of us have the same gifts, that we're not all up here preaching on Sunday mornings, that we're not all up here leading singing. Uh, but we have many people who have the gift of encouragement. And as we just read there in Romans chapter 12, who have that, they, they just have a knack for saying the right thing at the right time in the right way that really builds us up in our faith rather than tearing us down. And we have people who here who are very good about serving in specific ways when we need their service and we just have a multitude of gifts and that is all made possible by the grace of God that not only has God's grace saved us from our sin but God's grace continues to work in us and through us and we need to think about I think those gifts and abilities that God has given us in the terms that Paul thought about his and we can grow together in grace. We can look for opportunities that we can show grace one to another. Not that we're, when we see a brother or sister in Christ uh, falling into some temptation or some sin, that we just ignore that and we shove that under the rug and we don't deal with that. But we deal with that graciously with one another. As God graciously deals with us, that we help each other to see uh, what, what kind of gifts God has given to us. Maybe some of us don't realize the gifts and the abilities that God has given to us. And we think sometimes maybe in somewhat of humility, but also it could be in pride that we're just kind of the one talent man. And there's not a whole lot we can do in this congregation or in God's kingdom. But we need to be people who are gracious to one another and helping each other to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would submit to you this morning that we grow together in grace when we all use the gifts that Christ has given to us. Not just 
the preachers or the elders or the deacons or the Bible class teachers or the knowledgeable Bible student, but all of us are using our gifts to help one another grow. Secondly, though, as we think about what Peter said at the end of that second letter, that we need to be people who are growing together in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of the two things that Peter instructs us to grow in, of the two things, rather, these two things, we probably understand knowledge better than we do grace. Again, if I were to ask each one of you to give me a definition of grace, in my mind anyway, unmerited favor, any definition I could give just kind of leaves me wanting more because God's grace is so deep and so profound. But having said that, we we may not really understand knowledge as we should. Uh, Brother Xavier spoke about this some in his uh, Wednesday night class, and Clay talked about it some in his talk on Wednesday night. The, The knowledge that Peter is speaking of here in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, I believe is more than just a surface or intellectual knowledge about Jesus. This is more than just knowing about Jesus. It is in contrast to the knowledge that he talks about earlier in that passage. We didn't read verse 16 from 2 Peter 3, but he talks about it from a kind of negative standpoint, the, quote, knowledge of those who are untaught and unstable, that they have a surface knowledge, an academic knowledge maybe of Scripture, and they're able to twist and turn and distort Scriptures to say what they want them to say, to make themselves look better, perhaps... That's not the knowledge. I don't believe that's the knowledge that Peter has in mind here when he's encouraging and urging and commanding us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. No, the knowledge that he speaks of here is genuine, true, legitimate knowledge of Christ. Uh, The Greek word that Peter uses here in this text is from another Greek word that includes experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is knowing Jesus Christ in the sense that Paul speaks about it in the book of Philippians, as we'll look at here in just a moment, uh, as has already been read this morning. It's in the sense of fellowshipping and participating and sharing with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in every way, in truth and character and suffering and death and resurrection. Notice what Paul wrote there again at Philippians chapter 3 at verse 8. He said more than that, more, more than all of his accomplishments and achievements before he became a Christian, He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, listen, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not just knowing about Him. Not just knowing some information or some facts or some truth about Jesus. Certainly that was a part of knowing Him. But he says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I, again, he says, may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I, I want to know Jesus intimately. I want to know Jesus in every way that I can humanly possible on this earth know Jesus Christ. There, there's a lot. I don't know if you realize, there's a lot that Paul says in these few verses. And In fact, I think a, a number of years ago, I taught a whole quarter class on what does it mean to know Jesus Christ? <laughs> and kind of took as the basis of that class, the, these 
verses, these words of Paul here. He says, I really want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. That His resurrection, because Jesus was raised from the dead, that has power in my life today. It has changed me. It has molded me into the image of Jesus Christ. It has changed who I am because of His resurrection. I want to know Him. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And Paul certainly did that. Knowing Him means I want to be conformed to His death. That I want to, as as Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, about verse 23, that what it takes to be a disciple of His is to deny yourself daily, to lay or to take up your cross and to follow Him. That that we want to die to ourselves. We want to be conformed or molded to His death. Knowing Christ, knowing Jesus means that we can attain to the resurrection from the dead ourselves. That's the end goal. Paul didn't want to just know some information about Christ. He wanted to really know Christ. And I believe this is the kind of knowledge that Peter not only wrote about here at the end of this second epistle, but he had written about throughout this epistle. I noticed just a few things here back to 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 5. Peter says here this well-known list, I think, to many of us. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Skip down to verse 12. Peter goes on to say, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. And then the last two verses of this chapter, 20 and 21, he says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It is knowledge that Peter is speaking of here. It's knowledge from God's mind. It's not knowledge from Peter's mind. This is knowledge about God. This is knowledge about His Son, Jesus Christ, that has come directly from God. It has been revealed by the Spirit of God to men who are faithful in old times that they can write it down. They could reveal it to us. Notice here in chapter 3, he speaks again, I think, of this knowledge that he talks about at the end of this book. He says at verses 1 and 2, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The knowledge that Peter speaks of in chapter 3 and verse 18 that we are to be growing together in is a knowledge based on the words and the commandments of the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus himself. And then verses 3 through 7, he continues talking about knowledge and talking about the knowledge of the scoffers' words in their time, but also the knowledge of the power of God's Word to change our world in an instant. The the power that is just in the Word of God to create and to destroy in the blink of an eye. That this is knowledge again that comes from God. 
This is not knowledge that comes from man. This is not knowing about God or knowing about His Son, Jesus Christ. But this is truly knowing God. And so, brothers and sisters, we grow together in knowledge when we get into the Word of God. And we grow together in knowledge when we get into He who is the Word, Jesus the Christ. And so we have lots of opportunities to do that. What we're doing this morning is an opportunity for us to grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's an opportunity for us to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is, not to just learn some facts that we can recite <laughs> on a quiz somewhere or so that we can win Bible Jeopardy or something like that. But we're growing in true knowledge of who Jesus is and who we are to be in Him I think this is one reason why it is so important that we are here, as I began this morning, that we are here amongst each other, that we are collectively gathered together. When we miss, even when we have to miss for uh, being sick or being out of town or work or other things that may come up in our life, we're missing out on an opportunity. We're missing an opportunity help each other to grow in knowledge. Well, I want to connect all of this, of course, in Jesus Christ. Grace and knowledge are certainly two different things. And Peter, though, links them together in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 through their common connection to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace, obviously, is what Christ gives. And Christ is the source of our grace. He is the source of truth. He is the object, though, also of our knowledge. It's not just that we're wanting to memorize Scripture for the sake of memorizing Scripture so that we can appear smarter and more intellectual about Scripture than anyone else. It should be because we want to truly know Jesus and we want to grow in our knowledge of Him. But grace and truth, Peter says, are both connected to the one who is our Lord and Savior. There, there are so many connections throughout the Bible between Christ and His gospel. You might remember back to the words of the Apostle John as he began uh, his gospel account about the life of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, he said to us there in that verse, as he had explained to us in the previous verses about Christ being the eternal Word of God, he says there that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth, grace and knowledge. <laughs> John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Is John saying to us here that in the law of Moses, if we have been an Israelite during that time, or as we go back and study the, the old law of Moses, that there was nothing said about God's grace, that there was no demonstration of God's grace to His people during that time? No, but He is saying to us that they were fully realized that that was pointing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment as the Word in the flesh. Jesus Christ embodied the essence of who the Father is. He was full, John says, of grace and truth. He is the full realization of grace and truth that both of those sometimes seemingly opposite 
just kind of like faith and works or grace and, and works. People want to put them in opposition to one another. And no, the scripture says they, they go together beautifully. And so it is in Jesus Christ, grace and truth. The full realization of grace and truth is only found in he who is the word. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, he reminded them that he preached the gospel of the grace of God to the Ephesians. He commended it to them, knowing that it is the word of His grace that would help them to grow. It is the word of His grace. Notice how Paul describes the gospel of Christ. It is the word of God's grace that is able to build you up, he says, in the knowledge of Christ so that they can enjoy their inheritance. Yes, there are rules. Yes, there are regulations as we read the Word of God. But to Paul, at least on this occasion, his mind was thinking of the gospel of Christ, the Word of God, as being the gospel of grace in truth. And then the beautiful prayer that Paul prays and is thankful for the Colossian brethren in first Col- or Colossians, first Colossians, <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And he says there that coming to a true and complete knowledge of the grace of God and truth was really the impetus. It was the source of the Colossian Christians bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do we ever reach a point individually, collectively, to say, well, our, our, our bucket of the knowledge of God is full. <laughs> we know everything there is to know about God. We know everything there is to know about His Son, Jesus Christ. No, he says... You have to continue to increase, to grow in that. And so if you don't get anything else out of this morning's lesson, I want you to get this, that grace and knowledge do very much go together. And when we, brothers and sisters, as a family of God here at Fairview, when we are growing together in grace and knowledge, we are truly becoming what Jesus Christ has called us to be. We are becoming His faithful and His fruitful servants. Are you a part of that growing process? Are you involved? Are you helping us? Is it just the fact that your name, if you're a member of this congregation, just on our directory? And you're content to let everybody else worry about growing in knowledge and growing in grace. We, we all need to be involved in this process. It is interesting to me that Peter concludes 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 in that book. With a prayer of praise, he says, To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Because, brothers and sisters and friends, when we are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are bringing glory to him both now and forever. What about you this morning? Are you growing? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? What about us collectively? Are, are we growing? Maybe that we, we think some of us are growing, but are we, as best we can do, are we as a collective body here, as a family of Christ, are we growing together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I hope you're involved in that process, but whether you are or you aren't, individually or you don't think we are collectively, I would encourage us, urge us, let's get about the business of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's walk side by side so that we are growing together in His grace and in His knowledge. And let's be looking for opportunities to share that with as many people that we can that are outside of the body of Christ. What about you this morning?
Are you a child of God? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If not, this is a perfect opportunity for you to change your relationship with God. You can come this morning before this good audience and you can confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We spoke of or read read about this morning from Ephesians chapter 2 and really emphasized in our lesson that it is the grace of God that we are saved by grace. But that's not all that Paul says there is it. He says we're saved by grace through faith. (laughs) And God's grace is is plentiful, is powerful enough to save all of us if that's without us doing anything, if that's what he so desired. But he wants a response from us. He wants us to come to him in faith. Would you do that this morning? Would you come confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and repenting of your sins? We'd be, we would be happy, overjoyed to baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and the grace of God is working in all that. It's His grace that will save you from your sins. But then, I hope this lesson has, has taken your mind in this direction that that's not where you stop. <laughs> that's just where you start. And you can see God's grace working in your life. And you can use the gifts and the abilities that he has given you to help all of us to grow in his grace and knowledge. If you're a child of God and you're struggling and you're in the process of trying to grow in Christ, but maybe you're having a hard time with that. Maybe you need some help with that. Maybe Satan, as he often does, is coming along trying to deter us from that, that great mission. And it may be that sin has come into your life and you may need to just take care of that between you and God. You may need to ask a brother or sister here privately to pray with you or to admit what you have done to them. You may want to make that known publicly. However, we can help you this morning as we're about to sing this song. Would you come to Jesus and be his child? Would you come to him and receive healing and forgiveness and strength? Whatever your condition might be, the invitation is open to all. If you need to respond to it, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.